One of my favorite countries in the world is Spain. A popular tourist destination for sure, though it's also a country rich in history, culture, fine dining, great soccer teams, and of course, incredible weather. It's also home to one of the largest telecommunication companies on the planet, Telefonica. Now, Telefonica operates predominantly in Europe and the Americas under its own brand, Telefonica, and Movistar, O2, and Vivo. So today, we're going to travel to Spain, virtually, of course, more's the pity, and learn a little bit more about Telefonica. Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. So our guest today on The Great Indoors is the one and only Daniel Hernandez Ortega, Group SVP of Devices and Consumer IoT at Telefonica Group. So, I'd like to welcome our guest to the great indoors today. His name is Senor Daniel Hernandez Ortega. So, hi, Daniel, hi. hola, Daniel, bienvenido <laughs> al Grand Interior, el mejor podcast del mundo. <laughs> hey, mate, how are you, mate? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Were you impressed with my little bit of Spanish there? Uh, shocked definitely you, you you could pass by a native uh speaking person, i think so actually. i think so so daniel welcome to the great indoors i hope you're well today where are you enjoying the great indoors from up uh, today i am in madrid spain uh great city uh very sunny you know, i can see skies, wow as you can see yeah it's 30 plus degrees uh today so Wow. That's, the, that's the beauty of Spain. Uh, uh, for those of you who haven't visited, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic country. No, I love Spain. I love Spain. I haven't been there for many years, and uh, I love um, Madrid and obviously all those times we went to Barcelona, of course. But I need to come back. I need to come and visit soon, for sure. So now that COVID is in retreat, now that restrictions are being relaxed somewhat, what have you done lately that you haven't been able to do maybe over the last 18 months uh, that's brought you joy. Well, the first, I guess, the, well, today, by the way, um, uh, will be allowed for the first time in months to be outside without the mask. Oh, so uh, yeah, so uh, today's the last day, and then Saturday starts the the new the new restrictions uh, in 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 the country. So I'm looking forward to sort of breathe, uh, you know, uh, properly with and you know be be out without a mask yeah but for me the most important thing has been to be able to see my parents to be honest okay. so my mum and my dad both got uh, the vaccine finally and uh they've been able to come and visit us from Seville and and uh, you, of course you 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 talk to them on the phone and you, you see them uh, on the video and this kind of it's not the same and yeah. uh you know, uh, especially uh, when they see when they when my mom saw my kids, they grew they had grown so much for in a year that you know it's, it's a bit of a shame that we haven't been able to yeah to uh, stay in touch with with loved ones and so on. So that's that's the biggest joy moment of the last couple of weeks or so. 
Excellent. Well, that's nice. Yeah, that is nice. I think all of us can resonate with that as well. I, I haven't seen anybody, you know, outside of the immediate family, yeah, since this pandemic. So, gosh. Anyway, so look, let's talk about you and your role. Um, so you're an SVP at Telefonica Group, right? So give our list. I mean, Telefonica is an important customer of ours, but give our listeners an overview of, first of all, Telefonica itself, its footprint um, around the world, and also what, what your role is in, in Telefonica right now, Daniel. For those who don't know, Telefonica is a big telco, big global telco. We have over almost 350 million accesses, customers, uh, whether it's mobile phones or broadband connections or, you know, um, fixed line, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, and, and we are present in uh, 13 countries now. It used to be more countries, but, you know, we've, we've gone through a simplification in some of the geographies. But we are present in Europe, in Brazil, and, uh, and in Latin America primarily. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we have offices in the states as well, and and in Asia and so on. But uh, we operate in in uh, Argentina, Chile, uh, Brazil, uh, Mexico, as well as in UK, Germany, and 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 in Spain. Uh, we are actually number one brand in uh, in the leading countries. So in in Spain, Brazil, and in the UK, we rank and as the number one brand. Uh, we use different brands um, depending on the territory. So. So either Telefonica or Movistar for Latin American countries is Vivo in Brazil and 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 in the European countries is O2 O2 UK O2 O2 Germany O2 is now uh, a joint venture with Virgin Media with uh, so it's kind of a combined sort of uh, operation and it becomes number one in the UK market as well uh, both in terms of customers uh, revenues in all metrics in, in brands and so on. Um, we have about a hundred years of history. So we've been here long and we started with, you know, setting up as a pure telecommunication company. So we were an incumbent in the UK, in, in Spain, sorry. And we started to expand uh, internationally a few years ago. Uh, but most importantly, I think what makes me proud to be part of this company is the culture and is the, the, you know, corporate social responsibility is pretty high in the agenda. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 you know, the values, and it's a very, I think some, some, it's a good blend between Anglo-Saxon values as well as Latin, Latin values, you know, yeah. we generally care about people, we, we care about customers. So I, th- I think it, it is a nice company, it's a nice environment, and it's nice, you know, em, em, our employees, the, the colleagues are, you know, have um, less politics than, you know, the companies have been working on, and, and it's, it's a great culture as well. And my role in TEF is um, I'm, I'm heading the group devices and consumer IoT organization. So uh, that touches anything to do from technology readiness, like 5G, eSIM, consumer IoT, sort of value proposals and so on. Uh, of course, looking into great hardware innovation coming from uh, handset manufacturers, working with ecosystem players like Google, Apple, et cetera. Then the commercial aspect. So we negotiate six, six billion euros of a year of devices, smartphones, tablets, and so on. And uh, and we sell more than twenty million of those a year. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm char- in charge of that. And finally, trying to sort of do some some 
uh, digital sales programs like some kind of e-commerce and and uh, digital renewals and so on. So it's kind of a very end-to-end role. Uh, Mr. Devices in Telefonica, just to simplify. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. And we're going to talk about the corporate social responsibility from Telefonica in, in, in a little while. But let's go back to Spain for a second. And one of the things that we always get a perspective on from our guests is how they're coping, how they're returning back to work and where they are in that whole process. So you're in your office now. You've got beautiful views over Madrid. How has technology helped in Spain with the return to work? Well, first of all, I think we've, we are pretty lucky as a country because uh, we have more fiber in Spain than, than the combination of UK, Spain, so UK, Germany, and France together. Right. So over the last few years, Telefonica started um, a huge focus on, on deploying fiber, and it was followed by the, the other telcos in the country. And uh, so, so I think we now have, uh, I don't know, we're number, I don't know, millions of kilometers of fiber uh, deployed. And so almost every house in, in the country has access to the fiber. So to a certain degree, you know, not being able in the office, so you had the infrastructure in the country that would allow allow you to sort of cope with remote working, but also having video conferencing and so on without any degradation of quality of service. So right. because you, you were running those over fiber. So that made the transition very sleek. So as long as you had a laptop and a, and a you know, broadband connectivity at home, I mean, I have, I don't know, a gigabyte of, yeah. uh, of, of upstream and downstream access in my house. So yeah. I, 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 I have no problem. Yeah. To 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 be to be connected. So I think I think that was something that of course nobody predicted it was going to happen. But we had done our homework beforehand in 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 uh, in in the country to to be able to cope with that kind of digitalization of the yeah. workforce. We we did a, a survey called the Great Indoors actually, which was all about habits. You know the 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 rise of the enterprise consumer and. Uh, like you said there, and, and in Spain, to have that fiber infrastructure in place, the transition was very slick. So what happens next? Is everybody coming back like yourself? Or do you think there's going to be a hybrid mode? Or what do you plan to do with your team? What are you... Um... I, I think, um, you know, first of all, we put a lot of uh, emphasis on flexibility. This pandemic has taught us is that um, it's all about trust on, on the people. You have different type of leadership styles. Um, there are the old school leadership styles that want everybody in the office with a tie, you yeah. know, this kind of thing. <laughs> but, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think we, we are um, a little bit more flexible in that regard. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm looking, I myself, I want to be back in the office because we are very, but not, not, not on a daily basis, but I, I think there is a different level of energy when you're able to meet with people. Absolutely. So today, for example, I had a, I had a meeting for the first time with uh, six guys right. at the portfolio team. Yeah. You know that, Matt, because we used to do it. But you <sighs> know, I ha- we had a showroom with all the phones that are coming yeah. in the next 12, 18 months. Oh, yeah. You know, the old apps and so on. Of course, you can't do this over... Uh, video nah. conferencing yeah, to yeah. touch yeah, right? yeah and, uh, absolutely so we we kind of had a big room and we put a showroom we saw you know devices from samsung from 
from Xiaomi, from from Motorola, from every every brand, and we were able to sort of discuss. And and it, and it was something that you can't do over no. over a video. So I, I, I'm looking forward to be surrounded by people anyway. One thing that when we, we met up to talk about what we were going to talk about on this podcast, you, you mentioned something that I thought was really fascinating. And that was when you got involved with the procurement across Spain to, to procure medical equipment, right? So can you give us a, yeah. an overview of that? Because that sounds really amazing. Yeah, I mean, um, right at the beginning when we, uh, you know, back in uh, March, no, when we started uh, a full lockdown in the country, and then, uh, you know, it was a little bit, uh, you know, huge uncertainty, chaos, and uh, people really scared. And, uh, you know, we didn't even know, have enough information about the this disease and, and so on. So Telefonica, together with other big companies in Spain, decided to put aside uh, a big pot of money to, to help the government to buy medical equipment. So it was 25 million euros each company. So since I buy 20 million funds uh, a year and, you know, I'm, I have expertise in procurement and so on, we created a task team in Telefonica, like five, six, six, seven people to knock the doors of, you know, uh, medical equipment makers globally, what, most of them in China, but some of them even in Australia and the States, uh, of course, in Europe, in the, in the Netherlands and so on but most of them in China. So we, we, we could use our contacts in, in Hansen makers or in infrastructure sort of uh, makers and so on just to introduce to us this in, new industry we don't normally deal with. So it, it was a very intensive period and um, it was very eye-op- a, an eye-opener, to be honest, because what happened, and, and this not many people know, is there was a huge search of huge demand of ventilators, intrusive ventilators. Those are, I don't know if people are familiar with it, but those are, um, you, you, you get a hole in your uh, throat and you get a, a, an intrusive ventilator because your lungs stop working basically. So right. without that, you die. So one ventilator, one intrusive ventilator means one life, as, as simple as that. Once you uh, cross a borderline of, uh, you know, of, with a disease and you're, you have multi-organ failure and your lungs don't, don't function, if you don't have a ventilator, you die in minutes, right? Yeah. So we put a lot of emphasis to, to buy those. And, uh, you know, no, the, 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 the Chinese factories and any other factory was not ready to sort of cope with the demand. We're talking about a period where Italy was in a catastrophe, uh, the Netherlands, the UK, everybody was looking for this. So you had these intermediate guys, these distributors, who claimed to to have access to stock of those ventilators, and um, and therefore you know you you would sort of call them and say, okay, how many do you want? And price was not an issue because. I mean, these ventilators normally cost, I don't know, 1,200 grand uh, uh, and so on. But they started, I don't know, $25,000. But so you would not negotiate. You right. just basically say, oh, many you, do you have? Yeah. When can you ship? 
and can you ship them tomorrow? But the problem is these guys had no, no reliability and no heart, to be honest, because you would strike a deal with them, you would call them an hour later, and that quantity had gone to somebody else. And if you wanted to buy new devices, they would be costing much more. Instead of 25, they would be 30 or 35 or 40 or 45. You know, so it, they, they started, um, I mean, because the whole world was looking for the same product at the same time, you had this kind of middle middle people who wanted to make a, a huge profit out of this. And that, yeah. that was a little bit shocking, to be honest, because we were talking about lives. We were talking about people. So you would imagine a little bit naively, maybe, that uh, they would have more heart. Yeah, nobody would want to sort of make a huge profit out of this, right? Yeah. But that was the case. And uh, and uh, it was a chaos for a month. We have all kind of anecdotes in terms of people, even units shipped into a plane and somebody from another nation coming, buying that plane out. And uh, you, know, you, you would lose that, even yeah. with a contract, yeah. you would lose the the. And so on, right? So it was it was the wild the war the wild wild west basically in, wow. in that period. So uh, finally, what we could do is we definitely with some struggles anyway. We were able to bring I don't know hundreds of ventilators to Spain and and uh, and some of them even to Latin America as well at, at a second stage. Yeah, and it, it it didn't really matter at the end. All these uh, painful exercises with with the intermediate you know with the distributors because it's one of those things you would spend hours and hours on the phone and you know long long calls until 2 a.m in the morning it doesn't matter because you know that that call is going to save a life and yeah. um and that's what you know at the yeah. end uh, we feel very proud of what we could achieve despite of the situation and this wasn't just telefonica handing over some money right to purchase ventilators this was telefonica going out and negotiating, and well, not like you said, not negotiating, but actually managing the logistics, actually finding the suppliers to bring those ventilators into Spain. So that's you know that's a really incredible initiative. Uh, my, my, I mean, my colleague from the uh, head of uh, supply chain, Fernando, he was uh, checking you know the cargoes and the deliveries on the time just to uh, do shortcuts to bring things faster. Uh, we would have a daily call to synchronize uh, with the board, uh, ex-con board member, with Enrique, who would actually, you know, and, and and the president was was all, you know, constantly monitoring what was happening and so on. We would be coordinating with the government. We would be coordinating with the other top countries, uh, top top companies in in the country and so on. So it was a very, uh, you know, a nice experience and something that makes me really proud that to be part of it and and that. That you are able to bring your normal expertise in terms of and, and your infrastructure and capabilities to to do such such a yeah. such a good thing is um, is is something that you know I'll always treasure anyway. No, uh, absolutely, it's, it's it's fantastic, fantastic, Danny. So let's go into the world of telecoms and and 5g one of the things that you know we when we speak with our customers from service providers we always sort of 
prophesize or talk about potential new use cases that are coming in the future and we get excited about them. You know, we had a really great discussion with Tammy Irwin, the CEO of Verizon Business, and she told us about the future of healthcare and the, the sporting experience. So from Telefo- Telefonica's perspective, as we go towards the fourth industrial revolution, you know, 5G, IoT, mobile edge compute, all these wonderful technologies that are coming together. What is Telefonica getting excited about? What is Telefonica looking to bring into this new world from a, you know, an IoT perspective or this this new industrial revolution? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's a, it's a number one priority for tel- Telefonica to to. Uh, to be riding the, the, the wave of the industrial revolution enable things to 5G, and, and we are very positive and optimistic about it. The reality, though, is in the very short term, in the next couple of years, though, um, there are very well-defined B2B use cases enable things to 5G, no? like um, industry 5.0 or you know, even with the smart farming, smart mining, you know, and... Uh, you know, LT five G in a box, and so there are very concrete use cases that um, that we're working on in in B two C in in the mass market. I I think the industry, not only Telefonica but everybody, has a challenge to come up with those uh, monetization use cases. So what are, what is going to be the next Uber, the next killer app, enable things to five G? And I, I think, of course, we can all think about autonomous cars, right? And uh, we can all think about massive IoT deployment and everything connected and so on. But in the next couple of years, those case, use cases are are not that well-defined mm-hmm. because it's either gaming, which you can do gaming. I mean, my kids are every yeah. every minute on Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but they are using uh, Wi-Fi on, on Fiverr at home, right? So... Yeah, it's either gaming or content of AR and VR kind of entertainment or uh, some kind of uh, productivity uh, proposal. Eh? My laptop is 5G connected or, you know, my uh, I can access, uh, I can have a better experience using, uh, uh, you know, uh, browsing and, and using sort of my data app speed and so on. So I think... It, you know, what are these uh, great new opportunities that are going to help us monetize and therefore help us to speed up the 5G deployment and so on. And again, it's not Telefonica only. When I speak to my colleagues in Vodafone, in, in, in T-Mobile, in Orange, they're all in the same boat anyway. So I think we as an industry have that challenge. And uh, the, uh, there's a limit. Uh, we need to foster innovation and make sure that creative minds come up with those new killer apps and new and they will happen and at the same time you know we just need to keep looking for one of the things we are looking into is the next generation of video conferencing uh, for example tell us about this this is interesting yeah i mean i i it's what we call immersive calls or and the holograms so next next uh great indoors podcast in a couple of years or so if you invite me again we will be able to do the hologram or, you know, instead of a, a normal video call. I actually had a demo this morning, you know, as part of the portfolio session uh, with my VR glasses and uh, some of the apps that today allowed. So they created an avatar image of myself, taking wow. a photo. I look like a little bit like a robot, no? Uh, <laughs> in the avatar. Well, 
<laughs> but uh, but uh, but it's an early early concept, early prototype, and it will get better. But it was pretty cool because you could do so. You, I mean, either in a virtual reality or when you have AR glasses later, which is even a better experience. But in a virtual reality, you were you were in a room and you could sort of project on a space a document, a PowerPoint, um, a browser window, and these kind of things, right? And then uh, you would have avatars. Uh, you would have a spatial audio, so you know that if somebody's talking is uh, on your right-hand side or on your left-hand side and, and things like that, you could move. So there's a lot of things that are being developed right now that are going to drastically revolutionize how we communicate. Yeah, and yeah. what's really the next generation? And when the AR glasses come along in a couple of years, and everybody's working on on AR glasses, I, I know that. Yeah, uh, I've seen some some prototypes. Um, you're going to have a mixed reality, so you're not going to be locked in a virtual room that isolates you from reality, but you're going to be sitting in a table. And maybe the, the person to your left is a physical person that is next to you, but the one on your right is a hologram. Right, uh, yeah, like yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you would have, and it's far better than this two-dimensional video conferencing that uh, our brains are not used to. Yeah. You know, we're, you know, we need to use, see the body language. We need to see, you know, uh, when somebody talks, you need to hear it in the right, you know, part of the room and things like that. So it, it will definitely provide a better experience and so on. So I'm, I'm already witnessing and we are working with others to, to facilitate and to speed up that experience. So that in a couple, maybe in a couple of years is the de facto experience anyway. It requires hardware, but it requires those apps and those startups to bring that kind of cool. But it's not, it's not science fiction. It's, my, it's not a minority report Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that this morning, you know, um, moving, moving documents like that and, and so on. So it, it is happening. Does it have, I mean, it sounds amazing and you're lucky enough to have had a prototype. It sounds really cool. But does it have different applications as well? Because we look at video conferencing and we talked about returning back to work and stuff like that. But is there other applications of that same technology, like education, for example? You know, our children have been educated from home for a long time now. Mine are upstairs doing stuff as we speak. But can that technology give them a much more immersive educational experience as well yeah and not only education but also e-health for example so the, the, the applications are not only b2c like uh you know i talk to my mom and my dad uh with an avatar and it's better you know and it's funnier i could look like sylvester stallone and by the way as well. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of things but it's also e-health and uh, you know these kind of verticals that we're working on or uh, a call center that uh, you know helps you to sort of uh, configure your your Wi-Fi router and so on. The doctor that you talk to on a video conference today in some of the you know apps that we have, like Movistar Salute, which is a normal video conference, it will move to this immers- immersive call. So you would probably have wearables like an Apple Watch or any other watch that measures your you know blood test can do a blood test or, or, or a heart rate monitor. You could present, uh, you know, the diagram of your uh, heart rate monitor uh, 
at the same time in a kind of a augmented reality way or a mixed reality way in, in this at the same time that you're talking to a hologram of a doctor and uh i, I think that's open that opens up uh a number of possibilities to to really uh fulfill that dream that we have all seen in, in in science fiction movies in terms of all, all the things that we can do and that's only a couple of years away yeah no and it's it is it does like you said open the door for so many different potential use cases and this is where we'll see a lot of this innovation come in and is it you know obviously you'll do you deal a lot with the vendors danny the guys that is there a separate obviously there's the hardware required right and um and then obviously there's a separate software element uh, and so uh, are the hardware guys getting involved with the applications or is it an open source community are the developers already sort of kind of getting in there and working on new stuff how's the the ecosystem uh sort of looking right now for this domain well as you can imagine um all the hyperscalers like you know facebook google apple microsoft even probably amazon and so on they're all working on 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 uh, platform solutions to enable this. And there is a, a, a long tail of startups and mid-sized companies that are also working on this. I think that the, the recipe for success is it has to be device agnostic. It has to be operating system agnostic, whether it's Apple or uh, Android or Microsoft, it doesn't matter. And, and, and it has to be inter- fully inter- interoperable among all, all telcos, right? So I think the best solutions are those that are not niche or you know verticalized and you know uh, close, but that uh, enable you to plug to plug and play. Because when you talk to somebody, it doesn't really matter. You don't care if he's got an iPhone or an Android device. So this has to be exactly the same. So the handset makers or the you know hardware manufacturers already have prototypes of of course VR glasses, but AR glasses that are lightweight, like the ones that you're wearing right now. Uh, and, or, or, or Larissa is wearing. So they have to be not cumbersome to wear and they, they have to be discreet. And, you know, I've already seen prototypes like this. Uh, they're available anyway. The optics have to improve a little bit and, and, and some of the user interfaces and performance of the... Uh, but I think that's why I say it's a couple of years away because uh, maturity of the technology needs to a little bit improve but you know everybody's secretly working on nice glasses that are you know like an oakley type of glasses that are super cool to wear and yeah. and that not like a, that you need f- 5 kilos on your head <laughs> to be like a helmet right so i think i think i'm super excited about the the future things Now, you may not be able to disclose this to me, but I'll ask the question anyway. Which vendor has made you go, wow? Because obviously you're in that lucky position. All the vendors in the world are coming. They're pitching to you. They've got the latest stuff. You're privileged enough to see the latest stuff. I asked Mark not on this question, actually, in the last season from Samsung. Um, and I, I said, has anything made you go, wow, recently? He said, something, something makes me go, wow, every day. Right. So, but which vendor has made you really go, "Whoa, this is some super hot stuff coming"? I'll give you two two answers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's one Chinese vendor that has made me wow. Yeah. That's true. 
because we're talking about foldable screens and uh, you know and and the new form factors that are happening and 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 that you know I, I think um, that's going to be the winning form factor moving forward in a, also in a couple of years or so. I mean, you've seen already. I don't know the Galaxy Fold and the Flip, yeah, yeah, and yeah. some announcements anyway, and several the Motorola Razor and so on. So that kind of form, clamshell form factor is, is going to be the winner. I, I've seen uh, a Chinese maker um, uh, super uh, ex- exciting product, uh, but it's not something that is going to be launched in the in the short term. And this morning, as I told you, I saw the portfolio uh, that is available in Q4 this year. And, and what is happening in the next uh, few, in the next semester, next year, and these kind of things. And I have to say that, um, you know, because we have also supply issues with uh, semiconductors and components and so on, there is nothing revolutionary due to COVID, due to supply issues and so on in 2021. Yeah, so it's a little bit backwards and boring in the smartphone world. Of course, that you will have a new iPhone and you will have new Galaxy phones and, and so on. And they are looking quite sleek and so on. But it's, 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 it's not revolutionary. It's evolutionary more. So nothing, nothing dramatically different. So when the f- foldable screens become mass market, maybe in 18 months or so, or, 20, or two years, I think you are now having deconstructed models with the glasses, with your wearables, with your earables and, and something that is super portable that can you can unfold and like a like a napkin and things like that and, and that's pretty cool. But you talk about the wearables and the devices and the glasses and the earbuds. So all these all these now you know the connected sort of devices that are in our world. And you spoke about the VR and the AR sort of glasses. What is there beyond that from a sort of consumer IoT? What else are we going to, as consumers, need to have connected and on us all the time, other than those things we just talked about? Are they coming up with any new, you know, any really new stuff that's a little bit off the wall? Well, there's the, there's the thing about trackers, no? I mean, whether these little dashes uh, that are connected, and but the, the problem is that they need to have a long ba- battery lifetime of a month or more than two weeks and so on. And uh, they have to have accuracy in terms of geo-positioning and so on, right? And then uh, they have to be affordable so that you can buy, I don't know, 10 of those. And then you just put them in in, in your uh, uh, things, right? My things and stuff like that. Or your dog and uh, and or your kids, you know, uh, in their pockets and, and stuff like that. However, that is still, that promise and that value proposal still needs the technology to mature, as I said, because you know you don't want to charge those things every couple of days, so they need to have long battery lifetime. And and if if you lose something, either if you lose your dog or you lose a suitcase or whatever, you just want to need make make sure that uh, they're on and you can geolocate those things and stuff like that very quickly. So this that's the kind of consumer IoT kind of proposal. But I I, I think in the in the world of fitness and sport and you know and 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 and, and e-health there's going to be a lot of innovation that things that you wear and i call them uh instead of wearables i call i call them disappearable disappearables because that's the that's the trick 
you need to wear them without remembering that you're wearing them. So they should disappear either in your clothes or, in, you know, in your body or whatever. And uh, you just, you know, you know that they are there, but you don't need to worry too much about it. So I think there's a lot of really cool ideas in terms of, you know, things that you, you know, put your... You can your, connect yourself. Yeah, and stay connected and see sensors that are dis- disappearables and so on. So that, that that's, that's pretty cool as well. So, and then let's talk about just 5G as a technology, you know, just from a rollout perspective, because one of the things that we, you know, the United States right now, the race to 5G is on, right? You have AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and a new entrant dish. They're building out the networks. All their marketing is 5G. It's about coverage. It's about connectivity. You know, US Cellular, for example, uh, their main use case is fixed wireless access. So they're so they're trying to uh, provide high-speed internet to remote rural American areas and bridge the, the digital divide. Now, everything's different in every country. And, you know, where is Spain right now with its whole 5G rollout? Is, are the networks up and running? Is 5G devices available? Is it being marketed? Is, is 5G sort of heavy on the airwaves there in, in Spain? Yeah, I mean, Spain, UK, and Germany is pretty heavy. And then uh, I mean, we are getting a new uh, Spectrum auction in July in Spain, for example, the 21st, I think, or the 24th for the 700 megahertz band and so on. But Telefonica has 80% coverage of 5G already in the country, uh, in Spain. Uh, it, it is on non-standalone, uh, so it's not the... It's, it's a 5G radio with a, a 4G core, you know, network core. The standalone uh, network deployment will come uh, already this year, but, you know, accelerate next year. Uh, so right now you have a kind of a preliminary 5G experience, let's, let's call it this way, with 80% coverage. Uh, but the real one with latency and, you know, all those great attributes that 5G brings will start to roll out later this year. And, 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 and you know, it will take a couple of years to, to be massively available and so on. So I think I think we are getting our first experience in terms of what five G means to customers. Uh, and again, you know that's the chicken and egg. We need those killer apps for for customers to click and say, "Oh, that's the, that's what they mean with five G." And so on. So I think five G is um, it's pretty cool. So look, my last questions um, really now we'll go back to corporate social responsibility, Danny, and. Um, Obviously, you said it's you're very proud to work at Telefonica because of some of the community projects that it gets involved with. And you talked about the procurement exercise at the peak of the pandemic. So what else is Telefonica doing in, in the community space that you've been involved with? Well, there's a, there's a huge agenda on, on uh, CSR and ESG. And yesterday we had a, a, a meeting where they we went through some of the KPIs and, you know, so it's super high energy, but um, I'm just going to talk about my own experience in terms of what we do in my team. Yeah. Uh, what kind of little grain of sand we put into the, you know, or drop in the ocean and so on. So we, we've launched this uh, website to sell uh, devices. And one of the key pillars of that brand is sustainability. So every time a customer buys 
a mobile phone or a tablet or so we comp we give them a token to compensate the carbon dioxide footprint of that so 50 kilos or 70 kilos depending on the device uh, and then the guys can the customer can redeem those into a project that we've shortlisted for them so he receives a token with blockchain and then uh, you know he can vote for a particular initiative for example so the, the the one that is getting more votes at the moment is a reforestation project here outside madrid i think people like to feel that they contribute to something that is meaningful but we have other projects as well that uh you know in the amazon in the uh, you know in the amazonian forest in peru and in brazil so some reforestation project and some other kind of uh 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 option that we present to them as well. So far, I think we, you know, the redemption rate, typically of those kind of things, when you get a free token, you, you don't bother. But we are talking about um, almost 15% redemption rate, which is more double than the normal of any kind of program. And we compensated already 25 tons of CO2. And so I think this is something that we've done with low effort, on uh, you know very agile manner and this kind of thing. So my message is, yes, big corporates have big agendas for CSR and ESG and these kind of things. But they, you can do a lot locally, and you can do your own contribution in your day-to-day -day job. You know, as long as you you embrace that agenda and you kind of try to come up with innovative ideas on what to do, I think, um, you know, you can make an impact. And, and uh, I mean, this is something that I encourage everybody to, you know, think through. I mean, if you do products and services and whatever, what can you do to include in, 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 in the product definition or in, you know, service design, this kind of aspects as well. Yeah. It's, it's not that difficult and, and, and it pays off big time. Anyway. Yeah, I, look, we've, we've identified it. I mean, we, we talked about how, the 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 service providers and the communities they serve you know have a responsibility to to the environment to the communities so i think that's a really great initiative so you buy a device you're given a token that you choose what that token is redeemed against to offset the carbon footprint of that device so that's that's a really a really really good initiative and and how long has that been running now then um we launched it back in uh September last year. So, um, and this, this is a, a, you know, a pilot, a proof of concept. So, uh, you know, without a lot of, uh, support from ATL, it's just more like, um, performance marketing and so on. But, uh, you would be surprised with the customer feedback that you get, no, because we ask, uh, you know, rate the experience and so on. And, you know, the, the people who are really engaged, uh, into the, the overall journey, they gave fantastic remarks and, uh, you know, they, they, I think it's a, it's a reason to buy anyway, uh, through, through this is the first, is the first sustainable e-tailer out there in the Spanish market. And, uh, uh, you know, I think you, we use it as a lab test and I think we can incorporate that into the, the official sort of website, uh, very soon. So I, I think it's, uh, but all in all, we can all make a contribution anyway. So it's a matter of um, embracing and, 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 and driving it and make it and don't know, 
no no regrets no or, or, or no compromises actually so and, and hopefully an initiative like that which is beautiful in its simplicity and so impactful to you know the the environment and society would be you would hope in this instance mirrored and copied and imitated by other organizations not just in spain but all over the world and it has that multiplier uh, effect from there right indeed and and it's is the beginning of the circular you know economy so so we are also now implementing buyback of your old uh, hardware you, we are also now selling uh, secondhand products as well because they've been uh, refurbished uh, and uh, so that's when you then have the entire sustainability sustainability proposal in your in your shop i mean you people can visit it it's www.tu.com tu.com and have a look i mean it's not i don't pretend to be the role model for the for everybody but i just uh, it's not that difficult to 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 make things happen i love speaking with danny today He's a brilliant guy, and he shared with us some things that Telefonica are doing, which are just quite simply exemplary. The ventilator procurement initiative that he was involved in is, is, is a great example of a company that's not just handing over money, but actively being involved in, in what appears to have been a chaotic procurement crisis pitted against nefarious profiteers. And, you know, operators like Telefonica have a big role in society. You know, I really loved the reforestation project that Danny and Telefonica have been trialing to offset the carbon footprint uh, from their customers. I mean, these initiatives don't have to be monstrous projects. As long as they are replicable, they make a huge difference in society. So please subscribe to our podcast on all the known podcast channels and visit our website amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors where we have an assortment of assets for your delight and delectation to accompany the series i also want to bring to your attention two other amdocs podcasts which are great and uh, are out there right now one of them is the future of tech if you want to go deeper into the technological side of the industry with some great guests from around the world. That one's with Abishai Sharlin. And also check out Points of View from our CMO, Gil Rosen. It's an incredible podcast that's really designed to challenge existing thinking and brings in guests from the industry and beyond. So with that said, I shall see you soon for another edition of The Great Indoors. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto and have a great day wherever you are.